build the best product. I've been involved in the Patagonia field testing program for a little over 20 years right now. For silent sports done in nature. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that I fell in love with with climbing. Cause no unnecessary harm. Of organic cotton and recycled polyester to recycling the clothing to measuring our carbon footprint. Inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. To give some love back to this river that doesn't have any. It's not getting any love. See what drives us at Patagonia.com. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing. My friend Alistair Humphreys has traveled around the world, literally. He has ridden his bike 46,000 miles through 60 countries and five continents. It's pretty badass. He's also crossed Iceland's rugged glacial highlands on foot and is currently walking 1,000 miles of sand and heat in the empty quarter of the Arabian Peninsula. He's an author, photographer, and a motivational speaker. In 2011, National Geographic honored him as an adventurer of the year. Not for his feats around the world, but for changing how we look at adventure. There was kind of a eureka moment, actually, in that um, I really started to think that it was possible to have an adventure anywhere. And it was more just a state of mind and committing to get off your backside and go do something with your life. And I figured that if that was true, you could do it anywhere. So I decided to try and do the most provocatively mundane adventure that I could think of. Um, And you need a bit of background here, not being from England, but uh, right around surrounding london there's a road goes right the way around it's called the m25 it's a huge highway goes all the way around london 120 miles and it just goes through horrible commuter suburbia boring horrible places everyone hates the road it's full of traffic you get the picture so i thought to myself i'm going to walk a lap of the m25 and if you can find adventure there you can find it anywhere and I set off in January. It was um, it was very cold. It was snowy. I, I saw new places. I saw some beautiful places, which I really hadn't expected to find at all. Uh, I got to talk to loads of people. I met interesting people. And in that that week around walking around London, it ticked most of the boxes that that my four year journey on a bicycle around the world ticked. That's when I thought um, I should. I should give this a go. I should try and see if I can find a year of exciting projects around Britain. The idea of backyard adventures certainly isn't new, but what Alistair did was figure out how to put it in terms a lot of people understood. The micro-adventure was born. It was a new take that focuses on trips close to home, of short duration. They were cheap rather than far-flung expeditions. The micro-adventure challenged Alistair's thinking, as much of those he was trying to reach out to. I think most people don't think it's anything that they can do. It's all about trying to eliminate excuses for people. So I thought I'm going to start this year with the small, something absolutely tiny that absolutely everyone can do and then gradually build them up. And my first one was just to enter a race because anyone can enter a race. And then the second one was just go away for a weekend, grab some friends, jump in the car, go climb a hill, just get into this habit of breaking your routine. And third one, I don't know if you have the phrase in the States, but we always talk about the nine to, your nine to five life. And I thought, what about your five to nine? That's 16 hours a day. But even if, you, even if you've got a busy eight hour job, you've still got 16 hours a day that are for you. Alistair made short videos to go along with each challenge. The videos took off on Twitter. People began sharing them. They started taking up the challenges for themselves. And they even started making their own videos, which they would send back to Alistair. 
it became this sort of small movement that was growing. I want to try and make normal people realize that those of us doing stuff are also just normal people. We just, for whatever reason, through luck or determination, we, we just decided to do it. Perhaps the whole point of microadventures is that the things people are emailing me to say they're doing are not that amazing. They used to enjoy stuff 10 years ago, but you know, real life got in the way and, uh, and they've just managed to make a bit of time to go sleep on a hill, jump in a river and get back, back home for the kids or back at the office in the morning. Doing something that before you start terrifies you and yet once you're brave enough to take the first little step and you're on, off on the way that you're capable of far more than you thought and uh, gives you a huge amount of self-confidence ready for the, for the next project. All adventures are just a, a vessel towards getting towards the more important stuff. It's great just to pause and slow down and gives you a bit of thinking time and helps you think about what's really important in your life but they're also pretty cool in themselves as well. That's a powerful idea. Today, we present a story about two guys, both leading busy lives with families and career jobs. But they had dreams of bigger adventure, just not the time or the money. So they took a look at what they'd done in the past. They analyzed their old adventures, what made them fun, what made them miserable, what left a mark. Then they distilled that into an idea much like Alistair's. Epic adventure leaves us uncertain of the outcome. We don't know if it's possible or if we'll succeed. And it's quite possible that the most memorable stuff involves type 3 fun. So they decided, hey, let's just cut to the chase. Welcome to the Sufferthon. I'm Fitzgerald Hall. Today we present a story from Becca. You are listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Josh Norris and Ty Atwater run the Adventure Leadership Institute at Oregon State University. Josh is the director, and Ty helps make sure it all gets done. They teach students how to be outdoors, with classes and field time directed towards developing their students' skills in a guide role. It requires competencies and certifications in multiple areas. The American Mountain Guides Association, I've been instructor trainer for the PCIA, or the Professional Climbing Instructors Association, uh, Whitewater Rescue MGA, PCIA, I teach a variety of courses for them. Um, I work with uh, the ACA, wilderness and, medicine uh, instructors, I'm a wilderness EMT, I'm a leave-no-trace master educator. That's more letters than I know what to do with. But Josh and Ty use their training to excel in a job that they love, even if the reality doesn't always match up with what you'd imagine it to be. There are still the mundane tasks that make up nearly every job, organizing, prepping, resolving staff issues, strategizing to increase enrollment in administrative tasks. And when they do get outside with students, it's with a professional eye. Where the nearest hospital is, I could tell you the land management agency. I could tell you the ranger district. I can tell you who would call in the case of an emergency. Where are the landing zones? If we need to have a helicopter there, who are you know? I mean, there's all these little pieces to it. You know, very much a job. It's work, and that takes away from that adventurous element. Here's Josh. As adventure becomes more and more commonplace, 
and we do these things under more and more structure, then, you know, it, if adventure truly is about arousal level, then the more you do um, around it, then the more you need. And so essentially when Ty's talking about these five weekends a term that he's spending in the field, it's actually not really adventure for him anymore. Josh and Ty felt like the adventures presented in magazines weren't in their wheelhouse of possibility. As winter settled into the Willamette Valley, Ty grew tired of waiting for schedule, finances, and snowfall or water flows to align in a perfect trifecta. He wanted adventure to be more on his terms. So he created his own. Okay, Josh, I have this idea. I want to uh, get on our bike, ride to Eugene, and then we'll get in a canoe and paddle back. So Eugene's about 40 miles away get in a canoe and paddle back to Corvallis, which, you know, we're guessing is at least 40 miles. And then, and then he says he wants to run back to Eugene. And I was like, what's the furthest you've ever run in your life? He's like 11. And I laughed out loud. But that actually, in that moment, that's kind of, that kind so of is the it. spirit, you know, yeah. of the whole deal. It's like, oh yeah, that sounds asinine. That's what solidified me doing it as actually people saying like, that seems like a ridiculous idea. You, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. Motivated me to like, yeah, well, we probably should at least try. They called it a sufferthon, set a date that fit their schedules, gathered a support team, and convinced their friend Hopper to come along. Ty trained for the run while Josh abstained from any sort of training. We made good time on the bike. Uh, we saved a kitten out of a tree. The canoe was actually way smoother than we expected. We thought like the canoe way was way smoother. Suck. And it was quick. It was easy. Ate a bunch of potato chips. Um, and then we got our tights on. Josh is so inspired by my enthusiasm that he decides to take up the running cause with us. It's true. It was, I knew it was stupid, but I just didn't want to stop. And though they planned for some suffering, they also had plenty of spontaneous fun. It's just a part of who they are. It was as much about testing themselves as breaking out of their routine. And did you start thinking about the next Sufferthon? Yeah. Actually, I would say that actually the next Sufferthon, you generate, you generate Sufferthons quicker than you complete them. So even before the first one was complete, I think we had ideas. some of the ideas. Yeah. I propose the next suffer a little farther from home. Second one we called the Twin Peaks Sufferthon. We looked at um, Diamond Lake on a map. And if you look at it, to the west is Mount Bailey, which is around an 8,000 foot peak. And to the east is Mount Fieldson, which is a touch over 9,000 feet. Um, mid to early June. And we looked at it and we said, there's probably still enough snow to ski them. And the water is freezing cold. We're talking like 40 degree water. So I propose we should ski Mount Bailey, get in the water, swim, get out on the other side, and then hike Mount Nielsen. But Josh had some concerns. Originally, when Ty was like, yeah, we should do a two-mile swim, 
across Diamond Lake. I was like, listen, man, the only time that uh, in the past, you know, 15 years, I thought things were going to go super bad was uh, when I did a sprint triathlon and I drank so much water, I threw up. <laughs> but if you said snorkel, that's a lot like vacation. Hopper came along as a support team. He routed them through the private land surrounding Diamond Lake with a quick phone call to a local family, kept them on course as they swam across Diamond Lake, and navigated them through the throngs of boats. There was a bunch of boats on the lake. It was a concern. They were all fishing, which is what most people do in Diamond Lake. And towards (laughs) the end, there were several of them that were trolling near us. The captains of the boats would bring their, uh, their people nearby to see what we were doing. As Josh and Ty told me about the first two sephrathons, there was something infectious about the idea. Each had elements that seemed like fun. Biking for 40 miles, springtime volcano skiing, and not so fun. Swimming for two miles, running more than a marathon. And I started to ask myself, could I do it? I'd started to feel more hemmed in by my day-to-day. Teplin was eight months old, and while Fitz and I had been getting out, it definitely felt managed. Ski for four hours, then swap. Climb her out, feed Tep. I missed the feeling of, I'll be back when I'm done. And I doubted whether I still had the energy, the motivation, to figure it out and push through it for an all-day adventure. So I signed on for the Mackenzie Pass Out. Our schedules aligned for a Tuesday in October. Ty was coming back from a trip to the East Coast, Josh didn't have to teach, and Hopper was in town. I drove to Corvallis with a vague notion of what we were going to do. Run about 12 miles to the top of Belknap Crater, bike 22 miles down Mackenzie Pass, losing 3,700 feet in elevation, and then get into kayaks to paddle some 60 miles into Eugene, where we'd get back on the bikes and head to the local brewery. For two people who spent a lot of time thinking about and taking people into the outdoors, they were surprisingly disorganized when I arrived. I reminded Josh that I actually didn't kayak and had only been in an inflatable kayak once before. As the clock ticked till nine, we were still gathering gear and unsure of exactly when Ty was getting back into town. When we finally left at 1 a.m., we were nearly two hours behind schedule. So much for sleeping at the trailhead. Well, I'm going to say this. This may be the roughest start to a sun yet. Uh, it's definitely the coldest start. Okay, what are we going to do? It's 3.30 in the morning. We're going to go run. Uh, we're hoping that Hopper doesn't die. <laughs> All right, nice. let's go. Now, 3.42. <laughs> Is time still going? Uh, yeah, yeah time still goes. No, we don't restart time. <laughs> nope. It's our own fault. <laughs> Who? How do we pass the trailhead on the way up there? Oh. Our run soon devolved to hiking over the lava flow. I don't know. We should just consider at what point do we say, like, okay, but we just the rest of our day. We just need to do this at whatever level we can do this. Exactly. Yeah. We settled for summoning Little Belknap Crater, cutting our slow-paced losses at five-ish miles in 90 minutes, and bundled up for the frigid 22-mile bike descent. <laughs> this is definitely my portion of the suffer. By 8 a.m., we were off our bikes and geared up with kayaks. And that's where my suffer began. 
The first six hours went well. The river bubbled along with a mix of class two and one water. My kayaking skills improved. I got tossed out of the boat in one class through rapid, but made it through another. But as the flat water ratio increased, I felt like I paddled three strokes just to keep pace with the guys in their hard shells. I just wanted out of the kayak. It was no longer fun. We didn't reach Eugene on our own power that night. As darkness settled in, we traded boats for bikes and rode to a new endpoint. But for 16 hours, 20 minutes, and 41 seconds, we efforted, strategized, analyzed our progress, made decisions as a team, and laughed. Lots of laughing. I actually think that there's a lack of suffering in America. Yeah. Like people don't know how to to look at something and go, yeah, this is this is sucky and this isn't fun. I don't like this, but how awesome will it be when I have that? So when we, we first presented the original Suffathon, the, the idea just sounded crazy. How do we invite the epic without invite without being stupid? The problem is we know enough, no matter what, even if we're trying to be ridiculous, we still have to ask certain questions. To decide, maybe we should just include that because it would definitely crank it up. Or we look at it, we go, uh, maybe that's too spicy. We do occasionally add things, uh, invite the humor as well. So that sort of goes into the rule making. We don't really feel beholden to anybody else's ethics. So, what's Josh and Ty's recipe for a successful suffer? One. You know, there has to be a real possibility of failure. That just allows the uh, the uncertainty of the objective. Two. For me, it's important that there be both physical challenge, but there's also like an emotional or mental challenge there as well. And three. There has to be struggle of some sort. Because if there's no struggle, then it's not really something that you're worried about, right? Um, then it's just chance. So it has to be about the struggle and your ability to persevere. I think the stuff that we're doing is both easier and harder. The easier part is, is it's all made up. But I think the harder part is that you don't, you don't actually know if all these people do it. Meaning like when you go register for a race, you know people do it. Like there's that extra mental piece where you're sitting there thinking like, oh, shit, like maybe this time we've gone too far. And then you're faced, like, that the one thing you came for, you're about to give up. You're about to let go of that objective just because you bit off too much. The game is to try and get as close to that point as you can. Not surprisingly, Josh and Ty already have their next suffer in the works. They want to travel from Corvallis to the coast and back again by bike and canoe, without a support crew. Like the other sufferers, they have no idea how long it will take. Maybe a day, maybe three. They're pushing towards their edge, because they don't think they've found it quite yet. It's like, man, when we're standing there in the dark and we're really deciding to leave, 
that's like the moments when I feel most excited. I don't know. There's something about it. That, like when it, the further it gets, the more convinced I am that we're not at the end. We might be stopping. We're not at the end of what's even remotely possible. Josh and Ty are missing one essential piece of gear for their next suffathon, a tandem touring bike. That sounds hellacious. If you happen to have a tandem touring bike just collecting cobwebs in your garage and you want to make their dreams a reality, please email us at dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. We're all about facilitating. Music today from Frederick, Feral Children, Legend, and Small Sins. You can download the tracks for free from our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. For just a little while longer, you can also get 10% off your very own Dirtbag Diaries t-shirt or sweatshirt, hoodie. Use the code DIRTBAGHOLIDAY10 at adiac.com. We'll post all the information and links on our website. The diaries wouldn't be possible without the support of Patagonia. They're continuing their commitment to the environment with the Common Threads Initiative, working to collectively reduce our environmental footprint. They reached their goal of 50,000 people, pledging to reduce, repair, reuse, and recycle. You can too. Let's hit 100,000. Visit them at patagonia.com. Support for the show also comes from Kuat Racks, designers of bike racks with superior function and style. The new Vagabond X cargo basket features locking mounts for two bikes, a cable lock for gear, and a little flash. You can see their full lineup at kuatracks.com. As always, New Belgium encourages you to follow your folly. They're celebrating their snow day winter ale with giveable glassware. Find it at newbelgium.com. I'm Fitzka Hall, wishing you a happy holidays from the crew at the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for listening. You try to tell a child that the style's brand new, but it's just another case of deja vu. Yeah.